I had two eggs over easy with some avocado after working out. And some other stuff, though? You have, what, what was that other product? G-H-E-E, ghee. It's a form of butter that you're allowed on the paleo diet. Made so, from what? Is it made from an I animal? I think it's made from butter. I think it's clarified or what? something like that. But apparently this woman in Stowe does make it, sells it, but she only makes it during the equinox. So full moon, I guess. I don't know. I've been oh. hearing about this. Okay, that's product. definitely an interview I'll have to do later. Yeah, I don't the know. The person who makes butter from butter only on the equinox. Only on the equinox. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. number 55 i'm alex kaufman if you've been on this train for a while you know that we've dabbled and evolved a bit when wintry mix kicked off about four years ago it was a vermont public radio partnership and i had a good 25 percent of my time devoted to it i don't have that kind of time anymore so a year ago i moved it to a chop up of user submissions which was fun but in the end not something i wanted to do forever which brings us to now fall of 2018 I have limited time and my real job is entirely not local. So to balance things out for me, we're going to go back to interviews conducted exclusively in my new studio in Waterbury Center, so I don't have to go anywhere, telling the stories of Stowe, Waterbury, and Mad River Valley locals and visitors. Sure, we'll talk winter sports like we always have, but expect lots of tangents and local angles. Who's going to be on the pod? Whoever gets their butt into the studio to hang out and shoot shit over a beer or a polar. The inbox is alex at wintrymixcast.com if you'd like to hop on. Every time I've changed the format of Wintry Mix, it's been because my choice was to change or quit due to time constraints. This latest adjustment will hopefully solve that issue once and for all. The locally focused and produced format of Wintry Mix starts now. Karen Keene rips on a snowboard, lives in Stowe with her husband and her two teenage boys, and juggles more careers and volunteer pursuits than most. One of them keeps Vermont's ski lift infrastructure up to code. Another helps creeped out Vermonters manage their fears of the paranormal. Yep, she hunts ghosts. It's badass. Stick around. Haven't taken this new format to market, but it won't be long. I'm looking at you, restaurant group or brewery or sports shop. I don't want your money. I just want your trade. And then your message will be right here for all the local pod listeners. We'll pick a winner shortly, or maybe they'll pick themselves. But for now, let's get back to the show. Welcome, everyone. I've got Karen Keene here in the studio slash office slash backyard 
view house spot. Hopefully the dog stays outside. (laughs) Um, Thank you for coming, Karen. Thanks for having me. We are getting underway with a new version of Wintry Mix, which is focused on locals from Stowe and Waterbury and the Mad River Valley. One thing that allows me to do is use my wife to recruit interesting people that she happens to come across in the community because she's (laughs) out there a little bit more than I am. And you ended up on that list um, because you guys both work at the same, I guess it's not called spinning, it's called it's the ride indoor, studio. Indoor cycling. Indoor cycling, absolutely. It's the new ride studio in Stowe, opened uh, back in December. And if you've never tried it, I say give it a try. It's amazing. We've got amazing classes that are, we're in the dark, we're lit by candle, focused on the beat, and, and it's about a 45-minute class, and you'll feel like you've only been there 30 minutes or so. It's a lot of fun, and it will burn so many calories. Where is it located? It's in the Baggy Knee Shopping Plaza, right next to Rimrocks and the A.G. Edwards right there. Do you ski or ride? A lot of my audience is kind of into it for the skiing and riding. What's your background in that world? So our whole family snowboards. My husband and my two sons. My husband introduced me to snowboarding back when we met about 20 years ago. And our we started dating in November and my first gift was a snowboard. So it took me a little while to learn, but after that I was hooked. And my brother-in-law happens to be a former Olympic snowboard coach. So, you know, not that there's family pressure to snowboard, but it's certainly... It's in the blood a little it's bit. It's in the blood a little bit. So Stowe mostly for you guys or, or where? Stowe pretty much only. One year we were in Sugarbush, but because we live here in town. Uh, now we were in Montpelier. So we moved to town three and a half years ago and uh, snowboard primarily at Stowe Mountain. So the Epic Pass has been a good thing for you. That's been a great thing for us, especially with buying four passes. Yeah, we just made the switch this year. We were at Sugarbush last winter, and now we've got myself, my wife, our two kids, Epic Passes. For this year, we're going to kind of do one year at each one and then kind of decide where we want to go. Because in Waterbury, it's kind of a fork in the road. You kind of go either way. So true. So true. The Epic Pass is so great for so many people. And we've had a lot of friends now switch over because they couldn't afford the pass before. Yeah, we're going to give it a shot this year. And but we know Stowe has the best apres ski, right? Really? Yes. Where's your go-to spot? Matterhorn. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've been there before. I mean, but obviously not having a Stowe Pass kind of ever, I haven't really decided where's my favorite. Well, you can't miss it because it's the first place you hit coming down the mountain. Is it parkable? Like, or is it oh, totally absolutely. impossible to get in? Oh, no. It's parkable. I mean, there will be overflow on the road. Yeah. You will see that. But between the sushi, the pizza, and... The very nice beverages. You can certainly relax after a day I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Should I take them there? So you or can take them because there's video games. Our kids have been going for years. Okay, yeah. And um, the pizza, they will love the pizza. So you're all good. Okay. For, fun for the whole family. Matterhorn endorsed. Absolutely. All right. Well, you guys have been going there for a while, so I'll definitely take your word on that. I'm sure we'll be there a bunch. Uh, but that's not your only connection to skiing and snowboarding. You mentioned something about that you don't know how to... Um, build lifts, but you're on the tramway board or, or what? How did you yeah, end up on the tramway that's board? That's kind of a funny story. I have a good friend, um, Susan Spaulding, who worked for Governor Shumlin uh, at the time, and they were looking for a civilian basically to be on the passenger tramway board. So that is the board that oversees, it's actually Division of Department of Labor, oversees the inspection of ski lifts, gondolas, also, you know, what type of equipment is allowed up on the equipment. So we meet about once every two to three months. And, you know, if there's variances, if somebody wants to allow a jack jump or something like that up on their lift, uh, it has to be brought before a board to ensure that it is safe for uh, travel up the mountain. 
And and you ended up on that? Did you? Yeah, did you I was that? actually designated. Uh, I was asked, and I was curious about it, and yeah. so I gave it a whirl. And I'm actually on my second term. It's quite humorous because not being in the ski industry, I can't tell you how many times the the guys have had to draw a diagram to explain what part was being replaced, or you know, I now know what a bull wheel is. But my first time through, it was kind of interesting. They all looked at me and felt sorry for me, but I've got a great education and it's a great group of, group of guys. Did you end up um, going, do you end up going on site to a lot of these projects? No, no, we don't go on site. They all come to us. Um, a lot of it's when, you know, you have a, a ski area that either has to have, um, something replaced, a piece of equipment, make sure that it's in the guidelines, uh, and is approved. And also, like I said, there's all kinds of different types of equipment being brought up chairlifts these days from bikes on skis to I don't even know the technical terms to jack jumps that have to make sure that they are safe to go up on the mountain and what is it I don't know group. what a jack jump is I from you know certainly you can google it but it's basically looks like a two by four apparatus on top of one ski that looks like a little ski bike they head down the mountain in them they're usually in the woods okay but, yeah, yeah you know I uh I've personally never seen one but I certainly have learned a little bit about them on this board. If it needs approval because it's out of the norm, it will right. come before our board. But there are inspectors out there that are constantly on the go doing their job and uh, handle all that. So it's just kind of part of their bylaws or something that there's a kind of additional person on their board that is kind of outside of the industry yeah, in exactly. order to kind of provide some kind of level of third-party so. oversight kind of thing. Yeah, maybe just a different perspective. Yeah. You know, we're not just doing the approval stuff. We're looking at budget issues and and just see where the money goes and make sure it all makes sense. I think it's just, you know, normal for any of these boards um, to have somebody that's non-industry there kind of looking from the outside in. And also, I also ride the chairlift. I have kids that ride the chairlift. Right, yeah, yeah. So you have that perspective. We have yeah. that perspective as well. It's, it's so. good probably to have a user, you know, family user. Absolutely. I bet a lot of people on the board aren't in those, those shoes yeah. specifically. And I certainly ask questions when I don't know what something is because there are a lot of terms that will fly around and that's when they break out the notebook <laughs> to draw the diagram and show me what it is. But yeah, it's, you know, it's nice to know when you get on a chairlift that they're, you know, you're in good hands. Yeah. yeah. Your house mm. has had some eyes on it, right? I don't think I've seen this show, but I've heard about it. Well, it's funny. When we built here in Stowe, a good friend of ours, Bobby Roberts, who's a local realtor, he and his team of guys uh, built our home, and we had a great experience doing it, and it's sort of a mountain-style home up in the hollow. And not too, too long after building the house, he was contacted by HGTV looking for people that you know moved to the area, bought a home. And we're looking for that mountain life. So HGTV kind of reached out to your builder and that somehow got out, back to you. Reached out yeah. to all the realtors, okay, different yeah. realtors in town. And they kind of submitted some names. And he said, listen, I'm going to give them your name. Are you interested? And at first my husband said no. But I said, you know, it is HGTV after all. So they're going to do a good job. That's and like I, the Fixer Upper channel, That's right? like the Fixer Upper channel. And the... Are you a big Chip and Joanna fan? Love them. I've become one Love recently. Them. Absolutely. I want to buy properties and fix it up. <laughs> Just but you can't buy them right for now. cheap around here. So <laughs> Put some ship lap uh, up. Exactly. But no, so we were contacted by them and we did a Skype interview. They met all four of us, my family. And it was quite humorous because I was probably arguing with my teenager. I think I kicked him under the table a few times during the, the interview on Skype and and they liked us and they liked the pictures of the house and we filmed their pilot episode of Mountain Living for a series that 
HGTV did that was very similar to Log Cabin Living. Those pro- it was a property hunter show. It's kind of a recipe to the kind show. Kind of a recipe to the show. And this yeah. was their mountain version. And we were uh, the first ones to film for that. So it was a great experience. A lot of fun. Like all those property hunter type shows that they show from Car- you know Caribbean Life to Log Cabin Living. You look at three homes that are for sale. And then you basically pick one. Well, because we built our home, we deviated from the formula a little bit obviously they interviewed us wanted to find out why we moved to the area what we loved about stowe yeah. and uh you know we did tell them we were adamant on making sure that our home was portrayed as it was a build our choice to build and so we did go look at a few properties but ultimately the show was edited to show that we chose a piece of land and built. Okay, so which they portrayed true. it as you were actually right. deciding what between right. three three options when you had already actually right finished. because what they re- yes we had already finished and they really I think they had hoped that our home was one that was on the market at one point yeah but because it wasn't yeah and, but they don't care they just want the finished product right right and so basically the trade off was and we we gracefully said hey we'll back out of this yeah. you know we're not going to portray it any different than it was but they were really great they said you know no problem but the trade-off will be a lot less airtime on your house. And I'm fine. You know, we're, yeah. we're private people, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm doing this <laughs> interview. But, we you know, we didn't need cameras in every single room in our house. Yeah. So, really, what they show of our home is probably 30 seconds of the entire episode. Oh, wow. But there's definitely some funny banter between my husband and I. And it was a good experience overall. But you probably didn't get into them your... Should I call it a hobby? What should I call paranormal investigators of New England? Oh, that's funny. Um, you what know, it's you funny. It? The the one of the producers actually had worked on a paranormal show, so we had a few conversations about that. But I actually loved ghost stories growing up. Had a few funny little family stories that I my grandmother would tell us, you know, over and over again. I was always like that weird kid that liked to go. You know, look for ghosts, pan for gold, look for Bigfoot. You know, that's what we did growing up. Yep. And when I turned 40, my husband goes, what do you want for your 40th birthday? I said, well, I want to meet Duran Duran, believe it or not. And I also want to meet the Ghost Hunters because I was a big fan of the show. Yeah. I also had had experience. My son had an experience not long before that, and which is kind of an interesting story. But he had an experience that was a little um, brought me aware that there was something else out there. So that's sort of where I got the curiosity to pursue this a little bit further. But long story uh, short. After my son had this experience in a cemetery, I started to kind of investigate that there was something more out there and went on a few events with the ghost hunters. You see them on TV where we did a lot of learning how to use equipment. How do you go about investigating? How do you handle clients and whatnot? And after I went on two or three of those events, I felt comfortable enough to reach out to a team here in Vermont. And this was, like I said, eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, paranormal investigators of New England's been around probably between 15 and 18 years now. We happen to have the designation of being a TAPS family member. So TAPS being the Atlantic Paranormal Society, that's the the society or the ghost hunters, what the ghost hunters represent are TAPS. There are different teams throughout the state, excuse me, throughout the country that get this designation. So that means if you were to go to the ghost hunters website, they'll list you know, Vermont teams, New York teams, California teams, we've all had background checks. We've all proven ourselves to be a legitimate team. You can trust us in your home. We've even, in fact, our team's gone so far as to get insured. So 
we now have liability insurance so you can rest assured when we're on your property not only are we confidential but we're going to protect you protect ourselves and and do a good job for you does anybody in the chain make money or is it all driven by kind of volunteer yeah well when you get into the business it's definitely as an investigator encouraged that you do everything uh, free of charge which we do we charge for nothing you know we've had a few folks over the years give us a donation you know a little bit here and there to cover gas or things like that Um, i'm not sure exactly what people are making out there i certainly don't think they're making a lot but us as investigators strictly a hobby a common chain of events so you get contacted yep i'm also i'm the associate director of the team but i'm also the case manager so the typical way um people reach out to us is either through our facebook page or we have a website and they'll fill out a request form and that hits my email I go through them, take a look at them. Something, Some of them are as simple as they just want to come on an investigation one day, want to check it out, and some have more serious concerns. So I will make the phone call. I do an on-phone interview first just to find out what's going on. Um, if it's outside of Vermont, we'll pass them along to teams in Massachusetts or New Hampshire. But if it's here in the state, usually make a, an appointment to go on-site, see the home, I have everything written down from the age of the house to what is going on to, you know, what's happening outside the home. Is there a river? Are there railroad tracks? So we do a thorough on-site interview before we ever show up for an investigation. And what does a finding look like? Like, how do you achieve a finding? What is of a typical going type on. of finding? We are finding. So sometimes you can find logical explanations what's going on just by showing up. And, you know, we have different pieces of equipment that we yep. can use to find if there's EMF in the house. You know, certain things will give off EMF readings, like, you know, sitting under fluorescent Electromagnetic lights. Electromagnetic field? Yes. Okay. So, or force or something? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like I said, it's a, like an electromagnetic frequency in there. Some people are very sensitive to that. So if you are sensitive to that, some of the side effects are creepy feelings, goosebumps, nausea, paranoia so some people are very sensitive and they'll interpret it as i must have a ghost in the house you know we are 100 we hope to be 100 science-based there are like with everything out there people have different opinions i go in skeptically with an open mind and well and paranormal is very broad term. it's very broad term and everybody's different i mean there's some people that can walk through a haunted house and have no problem at all but you send them out in the woods you know in the dark and they're petrified so everybody has their own threshold for nerves i guess they're just nervous individuals but you know i think when i first started started my probably my first investigation was in a haunted building on the saint michael's campus i was scared to death yeah but that was my first one i've been doing it eight years now so it takes a lot to get me pretty nervous i don't love to go anywhere alone i don't love to go into a creepy basement alone we generally don't we always go in teams of two that that first experience that got you hooked or, or maybe it was your son having his yeah, first yeah. experience like what got you from from just sort of like watching the shows being, being interested right. as an observer to wanting to be involved yeah i um was always aware of paranormal stuff i had a grandmother that loved to tell stories i kind of i think i was watching a few tv shows at the time or something where it said don't dismiss kids like kids can have experiences because they're young and they haven't been told that it's not right or whatnot i was at a cemetery it was um 
outside of Hardwick, small little cemetery. You can see everything from the spot. My grandmother was buried there. And I was fixing flowers. And my son, who was three at the time, he's 14 now, he was three at the time, had asked, he literally said, hey, mommy, can I play with that little boy right there? And I remember looking around going, he's crazy. There's nothing there's, there's here. No boy. But I think either I had read something or saw something on TV said, don't dismiss it. And that's the little voice that was in my head and said, don't dismiss it. And so he started running and I kind of chased after him. He stopped in his tracks and he looked at me and he said, I don't want to play with him anymore. And I said, okay, Just that kind of creeped me out too. And I said, well, where did he go? And he says, I don't know. And I said, what did he look like? And he goes, he looked like me, but with blonde hair. So he described him. Yeah. He described what a, this child looked like. So I kind of chalked it up to, okay, he's three. You know. I can't get my kid to describe his day yeah. at school. He even described that he was wearing shorts. Yeah. And I think it was fall when this happened. And so I went home and I told my mom the story. They lived next door to us. And my mother said, oh, I got to tell you, my father thinks I'm crazy half the time anyway, you know all my lovely hobbies and and I'm on the go all the time and he he usually kind of dismisses a lot of the stuff I say and the next day my mother said you know your father took interest to that story and where my grandmother was buried there's other family members there and there was a child that died of influenza at about the age between two and three who was buried and I I mean this was long before my time I had no idea but it is a family member buried Two or three stones down from my grandmother's town, which is about the area where my son just put the brakes on and stopped. And I remember thinking, well, that was weird. And the, I think the fact that my dad actually paid attention to that story kind of validated. I'm like, there's something out there. Because he would just disregard otherwise. Yeah. And yeah. so I think I just started reading books. And, and then the, the TV show Ghost Hunters came on. And I would religiously watch that show and I would watch and get the results. What I liked was, it was one thing to show up on, and this is what makes you kind of addicted to paranormal investigating. If you think just going into a haunted house is fun, it's really boring most of the time. You get there, you set up equipment, takes an hour to set up, and then you sit there. And then you do a few things to try to generate a little activity. But as a general rule, it can be very dull and a long night. Then you pack up all your equipment and go home. And then everything you collected in data, every second of camera, every second of audio, you have to listen to it all back. Right. It's like podcasting. Yeah, yeah. It's like podcasting. Well, I wouldn't know. but, but But, you know, we have a big case coming up this Saturday night. So we'll probably spend four or five hours on site. have to take all that back home and listen to it all. But when you catch that piece of evidence, when you get a response and it's a voice or a sentence or a bump or anything like that that you can't explain. It can really, it's, it's what do you do exciting. With it? So basically what we do, and to finish up, like the package that we present somebody is we you know, show up, we donate our time, we set up our equipment, audio, video, you name it, EMF detectors. We have all kinds of, anything you've ever seen on those TV shows, uh-huh. we pretty much own. Then we... We spend our time, we try to capture, you know, we're there to validate their experiences. We're there to bring them some comfort. We're also there to maybe find logical explanations. Maybe what they thought was a haunting was really, you know, you've got a back door that's not latched and every time the wind blows, it's banging. But we do listen to all that equipment and we will present them with 
our findings. They get a written report and anything that we've captured, audio or visual, and any personal experiences, because we pay attention to our personal experiences and we give them that information. And what they do with that, it's up to them. Some of them, it, the property owners just want validation that they're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Some of them want to take it further and maybe get a house blessing or you know whatever whatever they want to do with it. Our job is just to go in, investigate, and then provide them with our findings. That's it. People who are just, they're not sure what they're dealing with and they yeah. just want a third party opinion. And they want a third looked at this kind party of thing opinion. Before. I mean, I had one woman, it was so funny. She, I'm like, so what's the purpose? Like, why did you call us? She's like, I want my sister to, you know, shut up because she thinks I'm crazy and I want to prove that I'm not. So sometimes it's as simple as that. And then, and then for others, sometimes it's just, okay, I need to get this done before we take the next step. You know? How does like pop culture's opinions of this sort of thing impact? you know, what you actually do in a good or bad way? Like, is the X-Files a good or bad thing for you? Like people, yeah, Mulder and Scully, like yeah, how does that see, impact you at all? And I, because I'm sort of like the the healthy skeptic, I mean, those shows are fun. And, you know, we know that that's not real what you're saying. You know, the reality type paranormal shows definitely real to a point. I'm sure there's a lot of production in there to keep it interesting. Because like I said, real investigating is not too exciting. So you have to keep it interesting for the audience. I mean, I think to answer your question, it does get a lot of people will come to our website, fill out the form because they saw something on TV or a creepy movie or whatever. And so there's a lot of contacts that I go through and I have to weed out that I'm like, okay, they're looking to be on a TV show. I'm like, we're not them. Even though we're TAPS designated, we're not getting you on TV, but things like Ouija boards and whatnot, some of the scary movies that have been out there. Well, my teenage son's been playing with a Ouija board and now he's very moody and upset. I think it might be paranormal. Can you come out? And so we're starting to, you know, obviously deal with, you know, different types of stresses out there too that are just family dynamics. And we're able to kind of go in and let it not be paranormal. Just let them know maybe it's just <laughs> teenagerhood. I got one. I know that there's mood changes. So you don't go in with any pressure to just give no. people what they want to hear. No, exactly. We do a lot of listening. I think I spend a lot of time talking with people on the phone who are giving me all these reasons why their home is haunted when in reality a lot of it is just stress in the home, something else is going on, maybe they move to a location and the house is old and they aren't happy with the move, aren't happy with the new home. And There's a million environmental out. There's so factors. many things, factors. You're constantly explaining things yeah. and moving things to the side because maybe they're not worth the full investigation. Right. But I would assume that there's something on the, on the polar opposite of that where you investigate something, you feel like you find something, mm-hmm. you're given this report, mm-hmm. and then like technically your job is done, but you don't want to stop investigating. There's probably yeah. examples of that, right? Yeah, where there it's just, are It's not over yet. It's not over. We Sometimes that's the frustrating part because we want to take it further. We aren't there to do house blessings or, you know, God forbid, it's something. You ever that, had to just call the cops? No, no, because it's never been like that. That's, you know, if we're in there investigating, if we suspect that police need to be involved, we aren't on site. You know, trust me, we're not going into a property unless we've Googled you. We've done background checks. Right, somebody's in the basement just dismembering animals or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's nothing like that. We get nothing. We're getting typical average homes, families. Some of the stuff that the team has tackled has been serious and... If it's something on the darker side, 
and it's hard to explain what that is, but but activity in the house seems to be a little negative. I generally don't go. Yeah. There's other team members uh, on our team that are more into that. We've had clergy assist us with a couple of things, and then you know if it's in an area where there might be Indian burial grounds or something up in the Champlain Islands or whatnot, we've had uh, consultation with shamans, things like that. We do what we can. If we can't get it done, we'll at least reach out to get a little help because we're just you know average folks. You know, all of us are no superpowers, yeah. but we come armed with some experience, some equipment, advice. And a shoulder to lean on because there are property owners out there that are scared. What kind of equipment do you use? So we use uh, DVR systems for cameras. Right. We can set up and wire the camera through the house and it goes right into the DVR. So that so captures. Obviously, so things we're all familiar with, probably audio, video. Yeah, audio, video. A um, couple of us. I have a FLIR Therm cam, which is great if we're doing sometimes we'll do exterior investigations but believe it or not the i've, I've found like night, vision, uh, night vision thing basically yep, yep. yeah it, it's night vision and um it's showing you know heat signatures in the dark and so we've had a case where somebody thought they had a ghost touching them at night and we were able to prove they pretty much had mice you know in the right. home and running up over you the have bed bugs or something. yeah or something like that <laughs> um emf detectors that can detect the electromagnetic frequency in the air is there anything that I'm imagining, like from Ghostbusters, like the little yeah, well, thing like they K2 hold? Is that what an EMF is? Well, yeah, that, some of that's crazy equipment. But yeah, yeah EMF, obviously, it's a tool that's you know used even in elect- electricians will right. use that as well. But K2 meter, same thing. It's detecting the level of EMF in the field. Um, what else do we use? We have all kinds of crazy stuff. It's fun. So anything, you know, in Vermont in the last 10 years, what's kind of been like, you know, the biggest one you've ever been out on that's that... You, you tell the story the most. Yeah. Well, commercial properties that we've done, we uh, generally keep... Is there like an NDA? Like you can't talk about it because yes, it's private? Yes, actually, it's very private. You'll hey, okay. never see... You know, you can go to our website, yep. which is www.pi-ne.org. And you can see some of the properties that we've done. We've done quite a few commercial properties. Um, over in Montpelier, we did Vermont College. We did that main building there. I can't is that like in order well. to insure it? Do they have to have you like clear a building in order to get insurance? No, no. They just, you know, usually if (laughs) if the property is okay with knowing that there's any kind of paranormal, they're okay with us putting on our website commercially. We never put a property owner, a private residence on our website. Right. And we've done a few museums and, and bed and breakfasts and things like that, but we keep it pretty quiet. We don't, you know. Some, some businesses probably... Having paranormal activity is like almost part of their marketing. Is that true? True. I mean, there's some that... They kind of want to be haunted. They kind of want to be haunted because it will draw a certain crowd. Yeah. I don't see that so much in in this area at all. Um, Most of the places that we've done, especially if it's an inn, want to keep it quite quiet. Right. And the other, because they don't want a stigma, obviously, with their property. It's very difficult to do those kinds of properties because it's rare that an inn's empty. So it's difficult to try to investigate certain commercial properties uh, that are to get it alone, quiet, you know, eliminate any outside noise. We're getting ready to do the 92.9 radio station for probably the fourth time 
Because they just had a lot of occurrences. They have a lot of occurrences going on. Uh, their DJ Mike is on our team, but they, it's a former music school, the Buffalo Soldiers. It's a very historic building. It's up in Fort Ethan Allen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, and it also sits behind all those radio towers are right behind the building. So that might help feed the energy. But we've gotten great experiences there. We've had personals, we've had fire hydrants get launched across, you know, little, hand, you know, floor sized fire hydrant what do you call it fire extinguisher fire extinguisher yeah move right across so you have you have like video of things that are occurring that just there's no good explanation we never get video right when it seems like we get great audio we get great audio but whenever something great happens where a door gets slammed shut or in this case people were sitting in the room in the dark and this extinguisher just fell over and rolled across of course the camera wasn't aimed at it Always happens. <laughs> um, so personal beliefs. So yeah. outside of more the local direct work, the globe has some myths. Yes. So are, are you predisposed to believe them or disbelieve them? Like, talk to me about champ. Yeah. Predisposal well, is what on champ? As I said before, I'm kind of a healthy skeptic, but with an open mind. Yeah. I believe people when they say that they've had an experience, I'm not sure they necessarily saw what they think they saw. I believe they had an experience, which is why I keep an open mind. You know, there's been photographs out there. There's, I can't say whether or not it exists or not. I don't think there's been enough proof. Right. So you you keep your paranormal investigator mentality on on that topic as well. Maybe we would need to investigate more. Exactly. I think, you know, same with Bigfoot. Do I believe there's Bigfoot? I'm just going to say yes, because I do. And I think deep down, I want to believe that there's yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah. But, you know, my kids are crazy. They're like, Mom, hello, there's no proof. Mom, there's no Bigfoot? There's no proof. But... What about the Tooth Fairy? Like, do you keep no, the kids long on Tooth Fairy and Santa? Or do you, do you extinguish that? Great. Now now they know that there's no... Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're too old for that. But the real creatures, the cryptozoology. Right. Not, not the Hallmark versions. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I am a believer in cryptozoology. I believe that there's creatures out there that aren't necessarily defined by science. Yep. But what about UFOs? How are you about UFOs and stuff? I do believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we get you must have gotten some calls about that kind of thing. Yeah, we aren't necessarily just about just homes or whatever, right? Yes, you know, our team's been on a few UFOs, we've been out in the field with a few Bigfoot investigations. You know, if you go to our website, you'll even see where they cast a footprint, uh, up in the west, I think it's west, westford area uh, of Vermont, and then. You know, Emily's Bridge. Well, I drive through Emily's Bridge every day, multiple times a day, multiple times in the evening. And I've never had an experience there. But there's so many people that have had experience. Is that that there. covered bridge? Yes. Over Gold Brook? Yes. Don't think enough? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I live not far from there and I'm in and out of that bridge all the time. But I've never, for years I've been going through I go that through bridge. that bridge all the time. I had no idea it had yeah. a history. Oh, yeah. It's very well known. Well, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but basically it's a situation where two lovers were in love and going to run away together and Emily waited at the bridge for her husband, well, boyfriend or whatever to show up and when he didn't, she took her life oh, no. at the bridge, hung herself from the bridge. But a lot of folks say Swimming urban, underneath that bridge is never going to be the same urban for Urban legend. I've also heard that the original location of the bridge was down further, oh, closer it. to yeah. Route 100. I've also heard that it was made up by old locals to get tourists to come there and who knows who knows well it works a little bit so you're busy so you're on the tramway board Mm -hmm. you're a 
don't call it spinning. You call it indoor cycling. Indoor cycling. Because spinning but I, is a branded I term. A spin I call it spinning too, but like yeah. I know it's like a branded term or something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, indoor cycling at Ride Vermont um, in Stowe, which is so fun. You and paranormal investigator and yeah. mom of a few. Uh, yeah, two. I have two teenage boys. Yep. I have a seventeen-year-old and a fourteen-year-old. I'm sure they keep you busy enough. Yes. And. But I've got this children's book here. You're involved in this yes. in one way or another. This is a Make-A-Wish children's book. Um, is this Make-A-Wish Vermont? Because I see, yes, the, make I a see wish the doctor Vermont. first in the back. Yes. So I have been a wish granter for over 10 years with the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Vermont. Cool. Uh, I have granted a ton of wishes. And it's probably my number I one. You're... I wouldn't say a ton. I think I've granted probably seven or eight wishes now. And it's about Jamie Heath and her family. And Jamie wished to swim with the sea turtles. And my good friend Kelly and I uh, were her wish granters, lucky enough to be her wish granter. And we're able to put together uh, what her wish was going to be and make a wish was able to send her to Hawaii to swim with the sea turtles. Well, this young lady is now a senior in high school, and she's always, from the get-go, been very confident and is a great ambassador mm-hmm. for Make-A-Wish. And she's been on speaking engagements. She's done PSAs. So she wrote this book um, about swimming with, about wishes, called Wishes Are Medicine. and uh, By Jamie Heath, adapted by, and illustrated by Leonard Wells Kenyon. Absolutely. And what's really kind of cool is, as you flip through, it talks about the wish granters that we aren't fairy godmothers, but... right. It shows a cartoon version of myself and my good friend Kelly, and I've never seen myself in a cartoon version, so it was kind of cool. I'm like, well, I'll be forever young nice. in a cartoon version, but it's a great book, and all proceeds go to Make-A-Wish Foundation. Well, if you are listening out there and you feel like you don't have control over something in your in your home or your car <laughs> or your or your office place of business, um, visit pi-ne.org.org? Yes. And you can submit your problems and maybe they'll check it out if they think it's worthwhile or if it's valid or, or I don't know how you really judge validity, but not, not my, not my spot to say. Um, thanks, Karen. Thanks for coming on. When, um, when's your next spin class? People want to go spin at Ride VT and Stowe. I teach next Wednesday at 1030. I do Wednesdays at 1030 and Thursdays, 830 and at 10. Cool. Everybody should check that out if they want to stay in shape, especially this winter. Ski season's coming and spinning's a great way to uh, stay in shape. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Karen. And it's rant time. Snow tires. Think about snow tires now. Not later when everyone is thinking about snow tires. Will you buy used? Will you buy new? Are you one of those people that runs their studs year-round? Should you make an appointment to get yours installed? Do you need to beg someone to buy you some? Just some thoughts to consider now, not later. You're welcome. End of rant. So, we on the same page here? Mad River, Waterbury, Stowe area. Locals, visitors, about skiing, not about skiing. The podcast voicemail box is still a thing in case you want to chime in with a question about the area or just rant. 802-560-5003. The email is alex at wintrymixcast.com if you want to be or want to suggest a future guest. And episodes are recorded above my garage in Waterbury Center. 
If you're a follow on social kind of person, hit up at Wintry Mixcast. Most importantly, drop those five star ratings and reviews onto the Apple Podcast Zone, and I'll owe you a beer if I see you in the wild. Happy Halloween! I might have given you the wrong website. Let me just double check. PI-NE.org. Or it might be a com. We might have to, what is it? PI-NE.org. Perfect. You're in business.